The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, JV. Thank you for being here tonight. We have a very, very important show for you. Patrick Wood of Citizens for Free Speech will be joining us tonight to talk about tech tyranny. Now, I've talked about this topic a lot on this program, and in fact, I think we're already experiencing it a little bit in real time, as some of my chat room members say they weren't notified about the program tonight. And uh, could that be because the title of the program is Tech Tyranny? Maybe. Could it be because Patrick Wood's name is in the description? Maybe. But, But this is exactly what we're talking about. We can't live in a free society where people are silenced because they don't agree or they have an opinion that differs from the ruling class. Uh, many of you have seen the, uh, I think it's a Netflix show, The Social Dilemma. I sound like uh, Don uh, Corleone, <laughs> the godfather. Anyway, you've seen the Netflix documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma. There are a lot of things that we need to be concerned about as our world turns increasingly tech. And when I tech, I mean digital. And we're going to talk about it tonight. We're going to talk about all of that. It's probably one of the most important discussions we'll have because things are changing very, very rapidly. Um, And we need to understand how that affects us. So that's what we'll be doing tonight with, again, Patrick Wood will be our guest. Looking forward to this conversation because it's important. Don't forget to subscribe all over the places, all over the place. Go to YouTube and also go to Twitch. Both channels can be found by searching for JV Johnson. Please support us on Patreon if you can. That helps us as well. We're going to go to break. We're going to bring our guest in because we're going to get this conversation underway. It's beyond reality. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, Benjamin Franklin, a very wise man, said freedom of speech is a principal pillar of a free government. When this support is taken away, the constitution of a free society is dissolved and tyranny is erected on its ruins. Republics and limited monarchies derive their strength and vigor from a popular examination into the action of the magistrates. Every one of the founding fathers discusses comments about the importance of free speech, a free press, and its role in a democracy. And tonight's guest is also one of those people who is going to comment on these ideas. Patrick Wood is the founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech, a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting and defending the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. He's also editor of the Technocracy News and Trends, a worldwide journal dedicated to critical analysis of technocracy and globalization. Wood has also authored several books, including... Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, and Technocracy 
the hard road to world order. Patrick, welcome to Beyond Reality. Thank you so much for being here tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I, before we get into this conversation, you know, I usually play the, you know, straight down the middle of the road uh, host, and I'm very, uh, in my questioning, very unbiased, and I try to present a very, very um, objective view of topics. This one is a little different to me because this one is so, so very important. So before we even get started here, I want to thank you for your work and your organization and say the things that you're doing, first of all, it's brave to be doing them in today's climate, but secondly, it's wholly important for the survival of uh, what we've learned to be the American experience. So thank you for what you're doing. I, I appreciate the encouragement, believe me. <laughs> it comes at a good time. This is a hard battle, and there's lots of resistance, obviously, and um, there's a lot of work to be done, but we believe that if the First Amendment is not saved, and this year America is going to be in, in just the worst trouble it's ever been in. I don't want to say it's doomed, but you know that's uh, the implication of the quote you just read. <laughs> if we lose it, we're done. Yeah, and there are dozens of similar quotes from very, very wise people that uh, that put together the foundation of this nation, uh, and they're they're all in unison saying that the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion is probably the most important. Um, would you agree with that? Well, I would, and they purposely put the First Amendment first. <clears throat> it's the only amendment um, that has to do with communication exclusively. And they knew that that was a watershed issue for everything that followed. Communication is necessary amongst the people, amongst the you know all the different institutions in society, Communication is a cornerstone um, of a constitutional republic, especially. And when you take that away, you're done. But it's interesting to note, every one of the five elements in the First Amendment has to do with communication. First, the freedom of expression of religion. That's communicating with God. They were very very stuck on that point, that, uh, you know, there's a, the biblical framework throughout the Constitution, or at least the hints of it. And then you have freedom of speech, of course, which is between discourse between individuals. Freedom of the press is the right to publish the freely uh, what people are talking about. The right to assemble peaceably has to do with communication because you get together to talk. And the right to redress the government for grievances is, is, a, is communicating with the government to, uh, to sound off to let them know what you're happy or unhappy about. And all five of those have to do with communication, straight down the line. Every inch of human progress that we've had in our country has been directly uh, linked to free speech. Every time speech has attempted to be censored, we have gone backward. We have regressed, not progressed. And I don't say that progress in a progressive sense politically, but just, you know, human progression we, uh, we go backwards every time censorship is, is tried to be applied to some particular issue. And so today, with this massive censorship we have right now, this is not going to put our country forward. It's going to push it backwards in time, and it's doing it rapidly so. Uh, this is equivalent to the book burning that uh, we saw, for instance, in all of the communist and Marxist and uh, uh, fascist uh, countries in the world, first thing they did, they took out and burned all the books they didn't agree with. Well, we don't have books to burn today, but uh, the Google and 
Twitter and Facebook and the rest of them are taking good care of that. It's just electronic book burning, right? And we're going to, yeah, and we're, we're, we're going to get into that in more detail, but I want to stick on the First Amendment here for just a minute because you enumerated the principles that are protected and outlined and held up in the First Amendment. But one of the things that's, that's underlying in all of that, and, and I'm sure that you, you, know, you uh, felt it was included in your list, but I really want to point it out, is that the freedom of the press not only is a freedom of communication, but it's a freedom of an examination of our leaders. It's a freedom of criticism of those very leaders. And without those two things, we can't keep a democracy or a government of a democracy honest. That's, you're, you're exactly right. Um, the the gov- I should say government at all levels, of course, not just the federal government. That's right. But uh, the the idea of, of a free press was to be able to 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 give those in society a way to communicate things that they stumble across that may be wrong, or sometimes it may be right. But um, at every level of government, from federal to state to county to local, uh, we see this massive censorship coming down, and it, uh, it it's just killing the fabric of our country. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the tech companies' roles in this. And uh, at this point, because I mean, I've been in the media for I don't even want to say how many years, but it's been a lot of years, many decades. And uh, as a, as somebody who has uh, grown up professionally in the radio business, uh, I don't remember a time where any media was. Uh, looked at with um, the idea that it needed to be silenced or it needed to silence voices or it needed to silence people or ideas. Um, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where almost 80%, maybe it's more than that, Pat, uh, inform- of information, it flows through a couple very powerful monopolies. And I'm talking about Google and, of course, their subsidiary YouTube. I'm talking about Facebook I'm talking mm-hmm. about Twitter, and in a way, Amazon as well. Even though Amazon, I think, is a monopoly in a different sense, but either, but they're also part of this uh, this uh, this quartet of uh, monopolies. And um, you know, we have gotten to the point where there's a there's a throttle point, there's a bottleneck of information, and the spigot is controlled by these four companies. Yes, it's it's very true, and there are tentacles that flow downward from that into. Uh, or maybe laterally, but into other uh, giant uh, companies that are based on technology. For instance, uh, MailChimp, the giant um, you know mailing service that a lot of, of companies use. Yep. They're censoring. They're dropping people if they don't agree with the content they're sending out, and that's uh, it. Really hurts a company to have that done. You have the credit card processor Stripe, for instance, dropping people that they don't agree with, and same things happen with Mastercard and Visa. Uh, that cuts the financial legs out from other people. Patreon the, uh, has has also dropped people in censorship. When Parler went out to try and rehost its uh, system platform uh, away from Amazon, they found they were being turned down by all the other large uh, hosting services as well. Totally crippled them. Well, they didn't have a contract with those companies. They just said, "The heck with you." If Amazon dumped you, we're we're not even going to get close to you. You're toxic, and so they they're still being censored beyond even Amazon at this point. So there's a there's a network of high tech based companies that seem to be marching kind of in lockstep on on this whole censorship issue, and 
you're right though at the at the the, the fountainhead of it is uh, are the big four that you just mentioned now are those other companies that you described as having you know feeling the tentacles of the larger companies are they doing it because they rely on those larger companies in some fashion or are they sympathetic to it it could be both i i would i would guess probably both uh, you can't get away from Google anywhere you go anymore. That Google right. is so heavily embedded in society is not even funny. So they have a lot of pressure that they can apply on people. Kind of YouTube's kind of the same way, of course. When somebody's being monetized, uh, getting money out of YouTube, all they need to do is threaten to uh, cut off their uh, their money flow, and uh, they're they're done making money off of YouTube. That's right. Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure. I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, backroom discussions on this. Like, you know, we don't really want to tick off Google uh, to where they would start doing stuff to us. Right. Yeah. The, um, you know, just a, a quick anecdote. We don't rely on YouTube to, for distribution of this program. It's something we do. We do stream live on YouTube, but it's not the primary source of listeners and viewers. However, tonight when uh, we announced the program and, and we launched the live stream, many of my regular chat room uh, members jumped in and said, hey, I didn't get a notification tonight. Are you, are you on? Which, oh, boy. Which I find very, very curious because the title of the program tonight was Tech Tyranny. Yes. I'm not surprised at all. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you go to Google and search for the word technocracy, which is the first word in my, uh, my journal, Technocracy News and Trends, you won't find anything until you get to about page 12. <laughs> Even though I'm the oldest person, the longest person talking about technocracy for the last 10 years, I basically owned that keyword for the first five years, but Google has seen, to, seen fit to shadow ban me all the way down to like page 11 or 12 of the search results. And of course, nobody ever goes to page 12 That's right. on a Google search, right? If it's not on page one or two, it's never going to get seen. I'd have discussions with friends of mine. I've got some uh, friends that are uh, investment advisors and other things where they have a real opinion on companies and how much of this, uh, this stuff works. In fact, I was actually involved in with an investment group personally um, that helped launch Facebook. So I have some skin in this game. I'm not in it anymore. Um, but during that whole time, I kept looking at Google and watching their uh, stranglehold on information flow grow and grow and kept thinking, if the federal government doesn't do something about this with antitrust soon, it's going to, you know, the genie's going to be out of the bottle here and there may be no turning back. And I've been saying this for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, you know, it, I, I think you're right, too. Um, we're, we're to the point where if they get just a little bit more control, they're going to have all the control they need to, you know, completely block everybody forever. But if you think about the attack on media in general in America, the the, the mainstream media has been completely co-opted. It's, it's perfectly useless at this point. That's right. Uh, most of the um, newspapers and um, uh, many large uh, alternative media platforms have been neutralized and silenced. Um but now the only, really the only last surviving segment of this, of communication, especially for conservative media, is talk radio. And talk radio is now going to come under intense and massive attacks to silence and censor uh, what is said on the radio. I can, it's, it's just it's coming just as sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. And that is really kind of the last man standing right now, a free expression, truly free expression. 
uh, even though your show might have got censored or shadow banned a little bit for saying tech tyranny. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, you get my point. I, I mean, do. this this is the target now uh, has been, um, the, the crosshairs have now been put on um, talk radio, I believe. And I think this is going to be the big battle of, of, our, of the uh, Biden administration. Well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And again, having been in radio, and I actually owned uh, 25 radio stations at one point. Um, I understand what the fairness doctrine was, and yep. and they're trying to resurrect this fairness doctrine because it gives them the ability to become editors of radio content, and yep. uh, that's the guys that they're going to use. And they, it's a beautiful word. Fairness sounds wonderful, but in practice, this fairness doctrine is just a way to one more uh, to take a step further and control what ideas are allowed to be shared. Yes, exactly. When did you st- when did you start noticing getting back to these tech companies? When did the alarm bells start going off in your mind, recognizing that these tech companies not only had a tremendous amount of power, but were starting to use it in ways that uh, were limiting and restricting the free flow of information and free speech? My alarm bell started going off in 2015, um, honestly, and I, it wasn't a big a big big deal back at that time although you know you could see kind of where it was headed but what really set my hair on fire uh, happened in uh, 2018 when i founded uh citizens for free speech that's what caused me to found uh to start citizens for free speech in the first place but what i saw was the collusion starting to take place between big tech companies so a certain person might be banned today by Facebook, and tomorrow he's banned by Twitter. Yeah, and maybe the next day his uh, his search engine traffic falls apart. This was this was absolutely beyond uh, coincidence at that point. And I saw this, and I, I mean, it just it it literally shocked me. I said, not only are these these high tech titans doing their own independent thing, but now they are colluding together to make an even larger sledgehammer to come down on people. And boy, do we see it today. This is exactly what happened. The trend continued this way, and there's no signs of it yet that it's going to reverse either. I think just we're seeing just the opposite. Instead of a sign that it's going to reverse, we're seeing a, a, an unbelievable uh unabashed effort to do this. I think there were some trial balloons floated during the election season, and there was no pushback from any consequence, and therefore now it is open season. They are banning and restricting with impunity. Um, there are a few voices trying to get through to to raise alarms, but not many are doing it. I mean, I'm I'm appalled at at leaders in both parties who are remaining silent on this issue because. They have to understand, or maybe they don't. Maybe they really don't understand the Constitution. But they should understand how important this issue is. They should. And I, I have to give a, a, a tip of the hat to uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who has been yes. speaking out uh, in defense of the Constitution and the First Amendment. Uh, she is a Democrat, and she gets the big picture of what's going on here. Uh, there are some in both parties who are really, you know, uh, objecting to this whole thing. But... Um, uh, it, it's not enough yet to get any type of legislative action going to stop it. And probably in the Biden administration, there's not going to be any effort to stop it. Really, they're kind of weaponizing the whole government system now to uh, to come against uh, the people of uh, of America. And 
and calling, uh, you know, calling conservatives and libertarians uh, white supremacists or, you know, threats to national security is not really the most conciliatory thing for, it's not very comforting for those people out there who have been peaceful. And it's really inconceivable when you, uh, and I'm not a libertarian, by the way, but when you look at somebody like Ron Paul, he's a, he's an absolute outspoken pacifist. Right. He always has been. That's right. And they're called a threat to national security. I say, what kind of threat is this? Uh, you know, the guy has been anti-war ever since he got into politics, anti-everything, violence, and yet they, they've thrown him into this category. They're weaponizing the government system right now to take people like that out. It's very dangerous. It is very dangerous. Um, you've got Congress men and women um, talking about truth commissions, talking about uh, you know government panels that will decide what is accurate, what is disinformation, what can be aired, what can be on social media. I mean, if this is not some form of tyranny, then I don't know what is. It is a form of tyranny. That's exactly where it's headed. We just see the. We see the blossoms just kind of starting to come out on the tree at this point, right? But all of the all of the seeds have already been planted. The takeover of media, for instance, has already been by and large done, and now what's left of free speech and freedom of the press is being twisted and manipulated, uh, where you know a whole new language is being put on top of it. And like you said, there's going to be fact checkers and truth truth checkers in every conceivable area of communication. And I'll tell you, honestly, I had a conversation with some activists the other day, and they're thinking there's going to be a time when we actually have to go back to the printing press again and start printing local flyers yeah. and newspapers and stuff to hand out to people on the street. Yeah, I, well, I, and I, I've actually been saying that. I've also been saying that, uh, you know, local radio might have a role in, you know, resurrecting some of this speech. So, you know, get multiple viewpoints out, because I think one of the things that people overlook the 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 response to much of this when you bring this up to somebody who's defending it they'll say well hey twitter facebook they're all private companies you're a conservative don't you support private you know enterprise but um and it's a bit of a paradox for a conservative on the surface but when you get under the surface you realize it's not and here's my opinion and then I want to hear yours when when the digital age fully bloomed thousands Tens of thousands of local newspapers went out of business. Radio stations can't staff news departments anymore because their businesses have been hurt so severely by the digital age. Same thing with many local television stations. So all those independent voices almost instantly, almost overnight, disappeared. So we don't have those variations of thought or ideas. So therefore, um, you know, we've got a restraint of trade issue here and... Therefore, the private company argument doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't. And, you know, once upon a time when electricity was first really implemented into into society, it started to replace the, you know, the natural gas uh, lighting and stuff in buildings, homes, hotels, et cetera. Um, it was a novelty back then. But there came a point when monopolies began to form where uh, the government and the people at the same time recognized that these really were now becoming public utilities because they were so widespread and they didn't want to let the monopolies just, uh, you know, gouge the people uh, for whatever price they could gouge them for. That's why we ended up regulating the utility industry across America. Every state has its own regulatory regulatory authority over these utilities 
they can't just go out and arbitrarily charge money, uh, you know, beyond the economic value of what they're providing. What you have now with all these social media giants, in the very same way, they have become essentially public utilities. They're serving the public on a broad basis in many, many countries. And other countries in the world have figured this out, and they're starting to regulate these, uh, these, these same companies we're talking about here. But um, should, you know, I don't like government regulation on one hand. You know, just kinda, mm-hmm. uh, I just kind of don't like the government to get involved in much of anything. Yep. But in this case, these really have become a social utility, just in the same way that electricity and telephones and so on became a utility for society. And they should be treated that way. They should be thought of that way. They should also be open to, uh, you know, to any kind of um, uh, lawsuit that, that a consumer might want to launch against them. Right now, they're protected, as you know. And this is wrong. They are a media platform. They're acting as content editors. That makes them just like any other newspaper in the world, like a Washington Post or a New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Um, they are creating content, and they're censoring content. They're editing content. And in my mind, that makes them a media company, and they should be treated like that. So, you know, there's a lot of angles you can look at these companies at, but one thing I don't, I just absolutely don't buy, I do not buy this private property garbage. This is just nonsense. You know, if, if there was a guy down the street, on your street where you live, that, that had a, 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 row, a, run, you know, a dog that kept getting out and comes and dumps on your front grass or something, and your other neighbors have the same problem, you, you know, and you get together so that you talk about it over the fence. You know, this guy down the street, he's really it's just obnoxious in our neighborhood. We need to get rid of this guy. So, hey, let's just go down and let's go down, you know, tomorrow night and we'll burn his house down. Now, you know, you say, well, duh, you're going to go to jail for that, Buster. Mm-hmm. But this is exactly what the big tech has done to team up on a company like Parler. And they're a big example. They got a lot of news and headlines. But how many other companies have been decimated by this type of activity? Take Dr. Joseph Mercola, for instance, that has one of the largest, if not the largest, Internet presence for alternative um, uh, you know, supplements and stuff like that for health care. He's, he's huge. He used to get 30 million hits a month on his, on his broadcast. Google came in, deplatformed him, buried him in the search uh, rankings, and all of a sudden his traffic, search engine traffic, is down 95%. Boom. One month, down 95%. That, I mean, that is killing a company. Like, it's murder. That's really what it is. It's wrong. It's just flat wrong. So how many smaller companies that aren't a parlor with 20 million users have been wiped out by these draconian uh, you know, uh, kind of soft executions, right, on social media. It's crazy. The um, uh, White House advisor, Peter Navarro, uh, was on uh, one of the cable news channels today talking about the fact that Twitter had banned him. He hasn't tweeted anything since January 14th. He mm. pointed out that this was a preemptive ban because he was a White House advisor. So we're yeah. now now these bannings and these censorship moves have moved to what somebody might say, let alone um, you know what somebody has said. Yes, yes, exactly. And and Peter Navarro has has been well known for his uh, criticism uh, about globalization and the various aspects of globalization. 
Um, he's been uh, he, you know huge on on uh, fairness and trade, international trade. Um, uh, in, in that sense, he's uh, been a real thorn in the side of the of the global elite who run the global economic system. And so, can't let this guy talk. <laughs> he's got he's got too much common sense, and he's got too big of a following uh, to let him sound off and you know throw a monkey wrench into their near term plans. So they they silenced him preemptively. So the big question here, when we talk about these tech companies, and again, we're talking about the big four primarily, but it's not just the big four. What is their motivation? Are they so blindly political that they feel this is the right thing to do in their in their you know biased world? Are they uh, doing this because somehow they can monetize it? Are they doing this because it, it, it puts them in good graces and good favor with the current administration? I mean, it's preceded the current administration, so I'm not sure, sure that's the reason. What do we think they're doing this for? What's their motivation? Well, you're right in, in the fact that they have grown larger than any political system in any country in the world because they are global. <clears throat> and it's uh, when you look at somebody, somebody like Jeff Bezos and you realize that he's now the second richest man in the world, um, it's not just a matter of money, but he has become an integral part of the global elite himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of the others that have become billionaires uh, in the last you know, 10, 15 years, they are global players now, and they are completely bought into the global economic plan that's being you know, put forth by organizations like the World Economic Forum right now, which is meeting this week, by the way, in Davos, Switzerland. And uh, what they're prescribing is this great reset now. They, they want to convert the whole world into this kind of green new deal where everything's going to be rebuilt from the ground up with green technology. And so <clears throat> the companies that support this, uh, this global program, uh, they are invested in that up to their eyeballs. They are not going to let, uh, you know, a bunch of um, a, a ragtag bunch of populists in America or any other country get in the way of their plans. And Trump did say something once that really resonated with me. He said, they're not after me, they're after you. Yeah. The you that he was referring to was the populist movement in America, uh, the, which was quite uh, strong at the time. It was strong enough to bring somebody like a Donald Trump as a candidate into the presidency. But the populist movement is the only big threat that these people have to their globalist plans. And they simply cannot tolerate that. They, 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 they're petrified of the populist movement around the world. And it has been around the world, too. And in every country where there has been a large populist movement existing, the government uh, or these, you know, these, uh, these technocrats have come against those people to just shut them up and to silence them and, if possible, disappear them altogether. Pat, did they kill the populist movement on November 3rd? They really did big damage to it. I don't think they killed it altogether because the populist movement basically lived because of what is in the heart of Americans. You know, many Americans really believe in liberty and the Constitution and freedom, et cetera. And um, I think there's a lot of discouragement. I think after maybe another month or two, that discouragement will return somehow to maybe a little ray of hope. But if you look at other countries where there was a strong populist movement existing, and Great Britain is a good one, that, that's what Brexit was all about. That was based on the populist movement wanting to get out of the EU. Well, <clears throat> Brexit actually kind of took place, but 
Boris Johnson has come in with all of his, uh, you know, he turned completely green since he was elected. Mm-hmm. And now he is bringing down the hammer with all of his draconian lockdowns and stuff and, uh, you know, spying on people and snitching, neighbors snitching on other neighbors and stuff. And, you know, the issuing commands like from the Department of Health, like, uh, excuse me, but when you have sex, you need to wear a mask. It's like, it's just absolutely over the top. Um, the populist movement in Great Britain has absolutely been slammed. And I don't know what's going to come out of it, but, you know, the, the bobbies, as they call them over there, are just rounding people up left and right now that make a protest. And you simply can't do it right now. Just can't do it. We're talking tonight with Patrick Wood. He's the founder and executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. The website is citizensforfreespeech.org. When did you find the organization, Patrick? When did I found it? Yeah. Uh, 2018. So it's only a couple of years old. What type of support do you get from folks? And I mean, obviously, free speech is the focus of the group, but it's more than that. Um, but are people starting to recognize? Are you seeing any kind of increased activity on your website in, in emails, maybe that in, indicates people are starting to see what's happening? Yes. And our membership is exploding right now. Um, every time somebody says something, uh, you know, about uh, more lockdowns, more face masks. Uh, Fauci, for instance, saying now you should wear two face masks. Two or three, just, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Every time something like this happens, you know, we just get a, a slew of people coming in. But in the last, uh, we, we were doing okay as an organization up until COVID uh, hit last year. But since then, our membership has exploded, and it's still exploding even now. And that's part of the reason I'm doing, you know, this, this media tour right now to try and get the word out to the American people. Guys, wake up, stand up, get involved. Don't wait any longer. You have to do it now. And so we've had, uh, we've had a lot of people uh, donate, uh, you know, to, to give us a budget to keep us, uh, keep us going forward. We've had a lot of people take our training already that, uh, that we're offering to teach people how to communicate in, you know, civil discourse in the local communities. Um, we've had a lot of activity and, and educating people on, uh, you know, the issues about mask and social distancing versus the first amendment. Cause we view that, I mean, that's not saying it's not a virus, but I am saying that the policies violate the first amendment and nobody's talking about that. We are, but basically nobody in government will even acknowledge that the first amendment is getting stomped right now. And we need to bring those issues up and have a discussion on them. That, that's, that's our position. It's interesting you say that. I actually um, brought up the idea on Facebook. And, and I've actually completely um, divorced myself from Facebook and, and other social media uh, because I'm just so disgusted by the whole thing. But at the time, uh, leading up to the election, I made a comment about uh, a mask mandate would be uh, a, a violation of the Constitution. And you would have thought that I had just thrown puppies in front of a moving train. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the backlash from these people on uh, on Facebook specifically was unbelievable. And it's not even like you can, ju- you can just have a rational conversation. I can disagree with you and have a rational conversation. They can't have a rational conversation about it. It's personal, and it's, it's, uh, you, you become attacked by the mob. Oh, yes. You, absolutely. You, you selfish person, you. <laughs> it's unreal. <laughs> I, I, 
I've heard it all. I could completely identify you know, I, with what you heard. I didn't <laughs> say that masks weren't a good idea. I didn't say that they shouldn't be. I just said I think that's a violation of the Constitution. I mean, it's like, yeah. and I'm not allowed to have that opinion. I, it's unreal. But the scary thing about that is, in this climate, saying that might get you banned. Well, that's right, and and this is this is the great danger of uh, the government weaponizing, if you will. Um, all of the resistors, and uh, whether that would be the populist movement, the libertarian movement, anybody in between, the MAGA movement, I mean, whatever you want to say, they're all being kind of weaponized right now. But you know what's really interesting? Last year in the middle of this, the Department of Justice issued a brief that was uh, sent to several court cases that were taking place at the time where somebody was suing a local city, and over closures and stuff. And they wrote this very simple little uh, uh, brief that they gave. I think they call it friend of the court or something like that. But here's what they wrote. They said, there is no pandemic exception, however, to the fundamental liberties the Constitution safeguards. Indeed, individual rights secured by the Constitution do not disappear during a public health crisis. Amen. Amen. And it goes on and says, these individual rights, including the protection and the Bill of Rights, made applicable to the states through the 14th Amendment, are always in force and restrain government action. So here's the problem. Government action is not restrained by anything. Yeah. This is just a clear statement. I, when I saw this, I about dropped my teeth. I, I, I don't know who wrote it exactly, but they did, and it ended up in several uh, court cases around the country. But it's, it, this is exactly expresses our, our belief, original belief that, no, they're not canceled in a health emergency. Nobody can, no, no governor, no mayor, no president, nobody can cancel the First Amendment and the rights that we have under the Constitution. Yet they're doing it, and yet the, it, we're going on a year with the uh, lockdowns and the restrictions because of the COVID virus. And listen, I, I don't, I'm not a proponent for anybody taking uh, risky behavior as it relates to this this uh, virus and this pandemic. Everybody needs to be smart. Everybody needs to be safe. Maybe that means wearing a mask, and maybe it means staying home. But for the government to enforce those things at gunpoint or the risk of being, in some cases, fined beyond your means to pay. Um, as we've seen with some businesses, particularly one in New Jersey that I've seen a lot about, um, you know, we've we've stepped over some lines here that I don't know that we'll ever be able to recross. And I'm really surprised there has not been more in the way of lawsuits, uh, you know, Supreme Court actions, these types of things to to defend and reestablish the rights provided to us in the Constitution. I know there's a great insensitivity uh, over the Constitution all across America. A lot of people have never even read it. They just don't know what it is. Some people don't even know we have a constitution. That's true. That's sad, but true. <laughs> I know. You know, and we call America traditionally uh, a, a country that runs according to the rule of law. That means laws um, are enforced equally and fairly across all of society, no matter who you are. At this point in time, we have a large segment in America that is lawless. They're not lawbreakers because they do not acknowledge the law whatsoever. They're, they're operating outside of it, doing what they feel is right in their own eyes to do. And this legal restraint has been removed from them. Uh, traditionally, people, that is just citizens, have been the force 
that restrain government action. And right now, that's been nullified by uh, by governments and gover- plural and the federal government now as well, where we're not really in a position to talk to the government anymore about anything. They're not listening to us, and when we do say something, we're liable to get censored for it. One of the things that also alarmed me as we were watching this unfold in the uh, late winter, early spring of 2020, and as it continues now, is I kept seeing this reliance and leaning on the word science, which I find a bit comical because it depends on whose science you want to believe because there are very disparaging or disagreeing versions of science. However, um, when I heard that buzzword being thrown about, I thought, okay, this is setting the stage for this same type of behavior and action to restrict freedoms as it relates to something, I don't know, let's say climate change. Um, because, yeah. quote-unquote, science says it's so. And didn't I just hear that uh, President Biden uh, in his administration just elevated to a cabinet-level position the Department of Science or something along those lines? Right, exactly. Science is going to be the centerpiece of the Biden administration, but it's not going to be real science. It's going to be pseudoscience. And this is a very dangerous religion, by the way, that uh, has been around for well over 200 years invented by a, a French philosopher by the name of Henri de Saint-Simon, and it was called scientism. And scientism basically worships science and claims that its priesthood are the scientists and engineers. Uh, they, they, in other words, they relate to the people what science says. Um, this, this attitude we see today across all these pseudosciences, like the, you know, like the Anthony Fauci's of the world and the Deborah Burks, et cetera, the World Health Organization, uh, Dr. Tedros, um, we see this mentality everywhere. If, if science doesn't say it, it can't be real. And if our science says it, even if you can't understand it because you're too ignorant and stupid, um, our science says, we'll tell you what it says, but you have to obey what it says. <laughs> and so, okay, um, so I can't understand what science says as a person, supposedly, but you can, so therefore I should just do you what you tell me to do. Uh, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> I don't, yeah. That just is not right. This is like this is kind of like the mythical tale, uh, you know, like an, at the Aztecs or whatever, worshiping the volcano, right? The volcano rumbles, and the priest of the volcano run up the hill to listen carefully to what the volcano says, comes down and says, you need to sacrifice ten virgins on the next full moon. <laughs> and to, to satisfy the volcano, or he's going to rain fire down on mm-hmm. your village. Mm-hmm. And so they round up 10, you know, virgins or whatever and take them up, throw them in the volcano. Well, science said, you know, this, this business of reading tea leaves and reading the oracle that nobody else can understand is one of the most dangerous, dangerous cult-like behaviors you could ever imagine. And yet this is exactly what's happening to us. You just touched on it. Worshiping science for the sake of science at the expense of all other truth. Yeah, it doesn't take a a tremendous understanding of history to know that, quote-unquote, science has been wrong probably as many times as it's been right. In fact, the whole idea of science is to figure out where it's been wrong and correct it and find, you know, new answers and new information to old ideas. I mean, it's happened repeatedly throughout history that what yesterday's science is today's fiction. And yet, People don't seem to remember these lessons. And they don't remember the logic of the whole thing. 
all advancements in science have been based on free speech. That's right. Just think about it. Every single advance, because there was scientific debate taking place to prove or disprove people's theories, and everybody understood that once upon a time. They understood the rules of, of science, that it was all about debate and open debate, and people shared their data, and they shared their their mechanism, how they got to where they, you know, got, and that their theories and whatever. Then they debated them, you know, day and night, some, some cases. Free speech is what that was. And, you know, this resulted in some of the greatest progress humanity has ever made. You know, and I'll point something out, and I hope this isn't uh, too much of a cliche here, um, but under these particular rules and these particular ideas, particularly with social media, if social media had been the main platform for sharing ideas back in the 1850s, Abraham Lincoln would have been silenced for his blasphemous ideas that slavery should end. Yes, exactly so. I mean, you can go throughout history and look at what the the contemporary thought was at the time and see an outlier who actually turned out to be right and changed history for the better. Exactly. And there's exactly. so many of those examples. So many. Yes. And there was tremendous debate going on during that period of time, by the way. There was all kinds of opinions, and experts were saying different things, and politicians were saying different things. There were some heated and fierce arguments even going on. But free speech and their ability to float those ideas was never just completely shut down. It should not have been. But in many ways, the free market economic system that we have enjoyed in America has made America great. It applies as much to ideas as it does anything else. In the marketplace, if somebody comes up with a bad idea and they make something that nobody wants, well, they go out of business or they go find something else to make. Uh, in, the, in the marketplace of ideas, when somebody floats a bad idea, it's going to get shot down. And people are going to say, no, that's stupid. We're not going there. We don't believe that. And the person will be marginalized automatically by, you know, by, the, uh, by the people judging his thoughts. But we should never say that one thought is more important than another because you just never know. Einstein could have been run out of business completely. He probably would have had his lab shut down for some of the stuff he said. Mm-hmm. But yet... In the end of it, he was proven right on much of what he said. Well, and and there's there's a great point here because, again, some of the uh, uh, justification for this, and I hear this from rational people saying that, well, you know, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't restrict free speech, but if they're going to lie and give them misinformation, then they should be restricted. And um, Thomas Jefferson said, and I love this quote, too, the press confined to truth needs no other legal restraint. The public judgment will correct false reasonings and opinions on a full hearing of all parties, and no other definite line can be drawn between the um, inestimable liberty of the press and its demoralizing um, I can't even read that last word. You probably know what it is. But the point is that, as you just said, the marketplace of ideas will determine who will be heard and who will not. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, of course, all the social media now have taken on the role of a gatekeeper. That's the problem. They are not gatekeepers, truly. They're not gatekeepers to reveal truth. They're gatekeepers to suppress truth. As you look at our current climate and you um, recognize what we're seeing in the federal government, do you have any hope that whether it's through antitrust action or it's through some type of um, re uh, 
definition of the Section 230 exemptions or in some other action that we will actually be able to regain some control of this? I would hope there's going to be some action at some point, but, you know, Washington has disappointed us so many times over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. I just don't have any, any real lasting hope that Washington's going to do anything substantive to, to, to tame these people down. I will say this, though. There is tremendous power uh, still existing at, at the local level. Uh, cities and counties, for instance, uh, have the ability to shut down many facets of what we've been talking about tonight and, you know, to spoil this... Um, uh, you know, this scientific dictatorship that's trying to be imposed on us right now. Uh, there's been some, like New Orleans, for instance, um, <clears throat> just recently um, passed a, uh, a city ordinance, city council did, to uh, drive facial recognition out of the city. They said, we're not going to do that anymore. And take, them all, take all the cameras down. We're not going to use AI software to be like China. And we're not going to surveil everybody that way. Uh, they went a little bit further, and they threw out all of the pre-crime software that the police were trying to use, you know, to to figure out who's going to commit a crime where, when, and all that kind of stuff. And they were profiling people with AI. So we're not doing that anymore either. Get rid of it. And the police had to get rid of it. So, well, you don't hear that in the, in the mainstream media because they're not going to tell you that kind of a story. Yeah. When the city council lays down a law on its city, it's pretty much going to be the law of that city. And uh, people, activists across America, need to get a grip on this and get back involved in their local, uh, their own local communities again, and root the stuff out from the ground, from the grassroots ground level. That's I think that's the only way that we can ever really make a lasting difference in America right now. And if there was enough cities that did that, they would send a message up the food chain that we're coming for you next. You know, we've cleaned up our town. Now we're going to clean up the region or the area or the state or whatever. And it could send a serious message up the, you know, up the food chain. You guys ain't going to get away with this stuff. In the last day or so, a journalist by the name of Douglas McKay was arrested um, for what they uh, called uh, election interference from the 2016 election. He had been posting memes on social media um, that were determined to be false narratives. One of one example was that he had said Hillary Clinton was in support of uh, making women eligible for the draft. This journalist um, is a right-wing journalist, and he is a, a bit of an activist. But he was arrested by the FBI. He is now in prison facing a serious charge of uh, interfering with the election and depriving people from their, their constitutionally protected right to vote by this information. And uh, the acting U.S. attorney for Eastern New York, um, Seth Ducharme, said there is no place in public discourse for lies and misinformation. They will be investigated, caught, and prosecuted. That, to me, sounds very ominous. I have seen more lies in this last election cycle against my preferred candidate than I can count. Yet, I don't see anybody being arrested for any of that. No, and you never will. This is a one. This is the one-sided thing. Very selective, and you you could call it hypocritical, but it's somewhere beyond hypocritical at this point. It's good. justice is blind anymore. You know, you, you forget the uh, you know the scales uh, that are supposed to you know weigh both sides of a, uh, of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is totally one-sided now, and it's being weaponized against those who have 
the unpopular ideas right now. So I know that, you know, and often, uh, and I, I remember back to when Ronald Reagan was running and, uh, and and Republicans ever since Ronald Reagan, you know, every time they would talk about Social Security, for example, the other side would say, oh, they want they want to push, you know, granny off the cliff. They want to kill, you know, is that the same kind of misinformation that as someone saying that Hillary Clinton wanted to make women eligible for the draft? It, does it have the same effect on voters? Uh, you know, is, is this what we're talking about? And can you go back that far to prosecute people? Well, actually you can, you know, I, I, I see posts all the time on, on uh, Facebook and Twitter where uh, somebody will say something and the f- little fact checker uh, yeah. pop up comes up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so-and-so has declared that this is fake news. Well, who the heck is so-and-so? Exactly. It's pretty tough when you have somebody like, you know, has, you know, three PhDs and a tenured service in some discipline or something like biotech, you know, bio uh, uh, engineering or whatever, and they say something uh, that's unpopular on a social media platform, and you've got some wet-nosed kid, some yep. radical ideologue somewhere, sitting at a computer screen 24 hours a day, probably you know gaming the other 12 hours of a day, and he decides that that PhD doesn't know what the heck he's talking about, and they censor him. <laughs> yeah, this is just it's just beyond the pale. It's it. So, it- it really is. Let's um, uh, just because we're going to run out of time here, and I could talk with you about this all night, Pat. But let's talk about recently. There's a, a documentary that's gotten a lot of attention. A lot of people are talking about it called "The Social Dilemma." On uh, I think it's on Netflix, and I I started to watch it. I haven't finished it yet. However, it talks about another side of tech tyranny, and that is the complete. Um, uh, I guess what we would call effort to collect. Uh, store, use, and maybe abuse information on people and direct and influence their patterns of behavior. What do you see in that regard? It's not directly free speech that we're talking about here, but it is certainly uh, ripe and rife for the potential of abuse. Uh, it is, and it, it does affect free speech because it's brainwashing, it's conditioning uh, people to think a certain way, and that is... Uh, uh, I guess you couldn't free speech. You're not speaking, but it's the same thing as censorship. But it's on your mind to get your mind to think in a different way. And if if the average person that uses social media and Google, whatever search engines, understood what goes on behind the scenes, their hair would catch fire. Mm. It it really would. And they're being manipulated. Uh, in ways that they will never know they've been manipulated. And that's what's really scary, that you would, you know, that things would be put into your mind that would not otherwise be put there by people who are intentionally manipulating you. You know, one of the one of the examples that a lot of people will reference, and I've had it happen to me as well, um, is that, you know, I will uh, go look, I'm looking for, let's say I want to find uh, um, a new office chair. And I type uh, office chairs into Google. And then the next time I visit Facebook, my feed is filled with ads for office chairs. Um, I've all, I, Actually, I'm going to ask you about that one first. Then I want to extend it a little bit. Is that, do you think that is an inappropriate behavior by a private company that relies on advertising for its revenue? Well, I, I, I think I would. Um, you know, there's so much dysfunction right now with the, 
the way people, the way advertising is spread uh, on social media, because they are really the primary mode of, of uh, advertising these days. And companies have weaponized their advertising budgets to uh, cancel certain people and let other people through the screen. And the battle goes two ways. Facebook and the rest of them are weaponizing their own platforms to deny advertisers that they don't like. So there's this huge battle going on behind the scene with who gets who gets airplay and who doesn't get airplay. Well, that's that's a good point, and I just saw a story too that uh, I can't remember the the founder of My Pillow's name, um, but what uh, I don't remember his name, but he was just deplatformed, um, and his crime was supporting Donald Trump. Um, he makes a uh, he has a great American success story, makes a great product, and retailers yep. like Kohl's and others are now not con- taking his product, and he has been banned on Twitter because he has the wrong opinion yes and it will you know that action probably is going to bring a company like Kohl's to its knees eventually and they I bet they put the product back in again yeah or maybe they'll just be stubborn and say well the heck with it if I was a, a an activist shareholder um, I don't you probably understand well that's kind of a technical term in Wall, Wall Street to be an activist shareholder it means you buy a bunch of stock in a company and then you take them to task on whatever you don't like about the company. Right. You can just file lawsuits or whatever against them as a shareholder. If I was a shareholder in a company like um, Kohl's, for instance, and I expected them to turn a profit uh, based on my investment, you know, I'm shareholder now, I expect them to turn a profit and to do reasonable, responsible things to ensure there's a profit month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. If they did something like that, and I was an activist investor, I would sue their flaming pants off on day one. You can't do that. You cannot tell a, a major vendor, a major manufacturer and vendor of products that will hurt your bottom line. You just can't run them off like that. And other companies, you know, other uh, companies have done exactly the same kind of thing where they throw somebody out at the detriment of the shareholders. And the shareholders so far don't realize they've been thrown under the bus. At least they don't get excited enough to say, wait a minute, management, Mr. President or Mr. CFO or whatever, you can't do that. It's just, it's not right. You're not thinking about our interest as investors. You're thinking about your political interest. That's not the way companies should be run in America, at least not in the pre-market economic system that we're supposed to have, right? That's right. Uh, One of the companies that we didn't mention yet tonight, but it actually makes up one of the big, I guess we'll have to say five now, is Apple. And, um, you know, I I had asked you that first question, if you thought it was appropriate for these companies that rely on advertising to, you know, track something you might search on the public Internet and use that information to provide targeted advertising to you. You said you didn't think that was appropriate. So I know you're not going to think this is appropriate, but I want your comment. I've also had the experience, and I know others have had this experience, whereby they're talking about something. And whatever it happens to be they were talking about in the presence of their phone suddenly Mm -hmm. starts showing up in your feed for whether it's on Google or whether it's in Facebook. So clearly the phone is, uh, and someone at the other end of the phone, whether it's a computer or otherwise, is listening to you uh, and surveilling you without, and yes. it's probably in the fine print of, the, of the, all those things we agree to all the time, um, but it's certainly not uh, made clear. 
Well, all of the new smart home devices you have in your home now, like um, Alexa and Siri and so on, the, you know, these, these different services that make life so ever so convenient for everybody uh, are doing exactly what you just described. Smart TVs are in the same boat. Uh, they listen to they listen for keywords and they pick up on it and they feed it back and then your information gets sold to the highest bidder and you see ads starting to show up. This has been going on for a long time. This just kind of indicates the the influence and power these companies have and some of the kind of secretive clandestine things they're doing to collect intelligence. It's it's right to say that data is the new oil of the 21st century. I think and um, collecting data is the holy grail for a technocrat. That is that is the addictive drug for a technocrat, is data. <laughs> Just give, they can't get enough. Give them more. They always want more. I'm going to ask you to put your profits hat on for a second, because in all honesty, I never thought I'd be having a conversation talking about such restrictions on free speech as we are tonight. I didn't think it would be possible in this country, but here we are. So this is something that I wouldn't have thought would be possible in this country, but I want your opinion. Do you fear it coming? And that is the marriage of this technology that we've just been talking about, where your phone is listening, your Alexa is listening, your smart TV is listening, and whatever else you've got in your home that's digitally connected is listening. Maybe it's your refrigerator. Um, and this effort to silence at least one side of the political spectrum. When they start combining those two ideas and they start listening to political viewpoints and you, when you're talking to you know your kids or your, your spouse or whatever it is in your home, and then they start acting on that, um, obviously that is dystopia. Do you fear that? Oh, I do. I think it's upon us right now. I, I don't think we have to wait for it. I think really? it's already here. Really? Exactly. I do. Oh, absolutely I do. If, if, and again, I have to say, if, if, if the average American consumer knew what goes on behind the scenes with the information that they don't even know is being collected, if they knew the whole picture behind it, they, they'd just set their hair on fire. They'd throw all those electronic devices out of their home. They'd probably go out and, you know, run over their iPhone or whatever, their Android phone, mm -hmm. and crush it. <laughs> it would really scare the pants off of them. But data is power and control. That's the key thing. Whoever owns the data is going to be who controls uh, the object of that data. And that's, that's been a known fact for a very long time now in the data revolution. And so the hunt for data, the hunt, the harvest for data right now is just absolutely ballistic. And your data and consumer data is being harvested from places you never would have expected and you most likely don't even know about today. But it's being turned around, weaponized, sold to companies all over the place, the highest bidder. And then that data can be used to cause you to behave a certain way. It's like brainwashing. I think the figure is 70%. Amazon Web Services uh, hosts something like 70% of all the information um, uh, stored on the Internet. And I'm not even sure if that's the right way to describe it. I don't know a lot about this. But what I do know is they control a vast amount of it. Under their control, Pat, are they allowed to digitally, quote-unquote, listen in on, these, on this data that's flowing through their server services? They, they do, and they have been caught doing it. 
Absolutely. Alexa has been a great offender. They're one of their models. <laughs> Earth, uh, well, it wasn't the first iteration, but one of the earlier models a couple of years ago <clears throat> um, was de-engineered by some geek, and he found a microphone inside the the device, and <laughs> yeah, that got out into the ethersphere, and uh, people said, "Why is there a microphone inside of this thing?" and mm. It's not on the schematic anywhere, and it's not anywhere in the document that says there's a microphone, but there's a microphone. And so Amazon came back, and they said, oh, that, oh gosh, uh, we're so embarrassed. Uh, that you know, was a total mistake. It, <laughs> it, we never intended to put a microphone in there. Right. Right. <laughs> like, and they sold like five million of these things, you know? And they always, but we'll, we're going to take that out. We'll never do that again. It's like... You know, how how stupid do they think we are? Um, but this has happened um, with user agreements in place, even in many cases. You know, Siri, for instance, on Apple uh, phones and uh, iPads, it listens to you. It's just waiting for you to say, hey, Siri. But does anybody really think that the only thing it ever picks up on is, hey, Siri? Right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. They do listen. And just the little experiment you just said when you're sitting around the living room talking about something and all of a sudden the ads about that product start showing up on your iPhone the next day. Well, duh, of course it listened to you and it picked up on that. And somebody sold your data and some other person put in a bid for an advertising spot on your phone. Wow. Talk uh, about target advertising. Yeah. But take it to the next step. Again, you've got you've got a platform that a lot of other companies and businesses rely on for providing their services. Amazon Web Services hosted Parler. Now, Parler's information from its users was flowing through Amazon's physical servers. Was Amazon listening in on their traffic or and I say listening in, it could you know, it's obviously um, text data, you know, it's text, it's, uh, it's written information, but I use listening in as, as just the, as just the greater idea here. Um, you know, or, or any of the other thousands of businesses that use Amazon web services to host their platforms. Yes. The AI software that is deployed at Amazon and any other major ISP now, um, has the ability to monitor every single bit of traffic. And uh, when I say bit, I don't mean like a little bit. That's a computer technical term, a right. bit, a bit, you know, megabytes, gigabytes, right. and so on. Bit is a one or a zero. That's right, a one or a zero. Their, their AI software can, can uh, monitor and analyze that in real time without a human ever being involved. And um, if, uh, if something is uh, seen or heard or read in that uh, search, uh, it can throw up an alarm or a red flag or whatever so that a human can take a look and see, well, what? how come we get, you know, a big trend on these five words and whatever? And I, I ex- fully expect they probably did some type of analysis like that on parlor data. I have no proof of that, so don't, yeah, don't call yeah, me out. Yeah. But it would only make sense. Otherwise, what it means is that some uh, mucky muck in the sales department or marketing department made a decision based purely on, uh, you know, maybe a conversation with somebody else in some other company like an Apple or whatever. They said, we're coming down on these people because we believe they fomented the riots in Washington 
and you should too. And perhaps some executive said, you know, you're right. Uh, let's just put the hammer down on them and get rid of them. It could have been that simple. Um, or it could have been that they really did an analysis and thought, yep, they're really doing that, and so we're going to nail them. Um, nevertheless, it's still murder. You know, this is, this is America. It's supposed to be, you know, freedom of business. I mean, they weren't doing anything illegal. They, they, were, not, they were not tried in a court and convicted of anything illegal whatsoever. Yet, Amazon killed them by pulling the contract. It's really, it's really unbelievable what we're talking about. And, you know, a couple times throughout the course of this conversation, Pat, you and I have both chuckled a little bit because, it's, because it seems so ridiculous. But, in fact, it is very, very serious and, and even more consequential. Yes, it really is. And I, I just have to say this again. People across America need to stand up for the First Amendment, <clears throat> and it is so important. Uh, you know, everybody, <clears throat> everybody knows somebody has been divorced. Um, I have a divorce in my past, unfortunately, but if you ask any divorced person, what happened to your marriage? You know, maybe a good friend of yours got divorced. You know, you're talking to them over coffee. What happened to your, you know, your divorce? You look like you had a great marriage and so on. Invariably you will hear from he or she, well, communication broke down. He wouldn't talk to him anymore or she froze me out. And then as soon as communication stopped, that's when, the, that's when the, the knives come out and the lawyers get called and the fighting starts and the bitterness takes root. It's all based on communication. The founders of our country knew that. When they told us, guys, you need to communicate with each other, just like a man and a wife need to communicate. I mean, a marriage counselor will tell you that. They, invariably, you're not communicating. You must talk to each other and work out these differences, <laughs> whatever your differences are. The minute you stop communicating, you can expect war. And that's, what's ha- that's where America is right now. We have stopped communicating. And the next thing we're going to see, I, I don't want to see it. I absolutely don't want to see it. I don't want to see the Second Amendment ever come into play on a mass scale in America. But if we don't start communicating and now, the fighting's going to start eventually. And it won't be pretty. No, it it won't be. And I, I, too, pray we don't get to that point. But if one side feels completely shut out of the conversation, that frustration and that angst is going to continue to grow, and that'll breed some bad things. So, um, you know, I hope that we don't come to that. Patrick, um, we're out of time here. Your group uh, is available for people to join. Tell us how they do that and what other things they can do to continue to help with this fight. The first thing, they can just go to citizensforfreespeech.org. On the homepage, there's a place at the bottom you can join. Read, read what we say at the top, maybe listen to a video, but then put your name at the bottom of it. It doesn't cost you a nickel to join. We will give you information on a regular basis on things that you can do. If you choose to volunteer, to become a volunteer after you kind of join, you're welcome to do that. We offer, you know, special training, um, you know, monthly volunteer meetings as well for on a webinar platform, um, you know, to discuss issues and stuff. And, and we can direct our volunteers into specific activities, give them training and encouragement and help to do so. And, you know, this, this is where we're at right now. We're, 
I have to say we're we're just we're growing, we're stumbling just like everybody else, I suppose, in one sense. But we're mission critical right now. Totally. We're we're in for the fight of our lives. And this is an existential threat, the loss of free speech. And so we're just hot. We're hot for it. We want Americans to get hot for it and put their name on the line. You know, come stand with us. You know, the irony of all this is that I know that there are people listening, and we've seen some comments in our chat room of people that disagree with what we're saying. But the difference here is, Patrick, you and I would stand up for their right to disagree and say those things where we're not getting, in some cases, the same consideration. Absolutely. I would love to have a debate with anybody anytime. I've had a few, by the way. There's been a couple. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you but... have. <laughs> I could talk about this all night, but you've been uh, a very gracious guest. Thank you for being here tonight, Patrick. Your work is um, is very important, and I, I wish you good success with it, and I hope you'll agree to come back as uh, these months unfold here and we see how this plays out. I appreciate it. Anytime I can be a service, I'm happy to do so. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.